Well, good morning, everybody. Don't, aren't you all blessed with a wonderful worship team, including your pastor and instrumentalist? What a beautiful, wonderful service. And uh, thank you so much. Well, my name is Bob. By the way, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 4 first in your Bibles, please. And uh, my name is Bob Fielding, and I work for you at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. And uh, uh, your pastor did want me to tell you real quick what I do. I serve on the missions team, and uh, along with your church, serve about 1,500 other Southern Baptist churches in Arkansas. I haven't been in all of them. Uh, but uh, I, my role is to help churches with international missions, North American missions, basically missions outside of Arkansas, and chaplaincy, which ranges from everything from volunteer police chaplains, fire chaplains, all the way to uh, jail ministry, prison ministry, that type of thing. So uh, I happen to be a police chaplain in my town and a reserve police officer in my town, and uh, so that's what I do. Uh, I do have some Batesville ties. In 1983, I uh, left the police department in Jacksonville and moved to Newport and was the, the f- founding, I guess, store manager of the McDonald's in Newport, which was owned by the guy who owned the McDonald's here in Batesville at the time. And so I brought a lot of people back and forth uh, to Batesville to learn how to run a McDonald's in Newport. So... Uh, Anyway, and then I want to encourage you not to watch your clock. I know what time it is back there. Uh, When I was on staff later at First Newport, when the Lord called me to the ministry, the first time I preached when the pastor was gone, I got done at 10 till 12, Brother Randy, and it was the first time in the history of Newport that the Baptist beat the Methodist at Kelly's Restaurant. And it was a true story. I was the talk of the town for two, I messed up Newport for two weeks. And so I promised God I would never embarrass the church again by letting it out early. <laughs> so, so not going to happen, all right? All right. So uh, if you'll open up your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 4, and, uh, and we'll get there in a moment. And I also want to bring you greetings, too, by the way, from our executive director, Dr. Sunny Tucker, and your other brothers and sisters that work at the convention. And we really do appreciate your prayers and your financial support for certain. So I've read the biography of Lottie Moon uh, many times, and she's the namesake of our annual missions offering for international missions. And I still find it fascinating that an unmarried woman in 1871 would answer the call to be a missionary in China. And just try to imagine that trip. For you young folks, airplanes did not exist in 1871. And, uh, and imagine literally a slow boat to China. Literally. How could she do it? Why would she do it? Well, she was willing to obey the Great Commission, and along with this message today, as you can tell by the title up there, she was willing to pay the price. She was willing to count the cost. And she asked in one of her famous letters, should we not press it upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and Master in the conversion of the world? Friends, that's a great question. That's a great question. So I want to talk to you this morning about the call and the cost of obedience to Jesus, or put another way, the call and cost of discipleship. So I would invite you to follow along as I read from Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, and it will be on the screen for you as well. 
While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, and that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, we know from other verses that these men and others along with them came to be known as disciples, disciples of Jesus. And a disciple is a learner or a student that totally embraces the life of the teacher. A disciple of Jesus follows Jesus and goes wherever Jesus goes and does whatever Jesus does. In this case, he said, you're gonna become fishers of men and dear friends, by extension, he tells us that. We're gonna be fishers of men if we follow him. So, Bob, why do you call this message the call and cost of discipleship? I thought anybody could come to the Lord. Well, dear friends, that's absolutely true, but there's also a tension in the Bible that we've gotta get a hold of. Jesus issues an invitation to everyone to be his disciple, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is God's tent big enough for anybody from any background anywhere in the world to be saved? Yes, yeah. On the other, on the other hand, as we're gonna see in the scriptures, he confronts us with the cost of following him. Notice in, these Matthew, in the Matthew 4 passage, these men were called by Jesus to leave their nets. Two of the brothers had to leave their dad. So he'd run the family business, if you will, by, by himself. You see, nowhere in the Bible do you find the call of Jesus where you and I become disciples by answering that call, where he leaves us the same just keeping on life as usual. That's nowhere in the scriptures. The truth is there is a cost to following Jesus and it's gonna look different for every one of us. Now, in order to follow Jesus, you obviously have to make a commitment to follow him, right? Would y'all agree with that? You've gotta make a commitment to follow Jesus. You don't just stumble into this, right? You've gotta make a commitment to follow Jesus. In making that commitment, one receives Jesus. Now, here's where you've gotta be very really careful you cannot pay enough cost, you cannot pay enough cost, neither can I, to earn salvation, right? We can't earn this thing. He paid the cost for you to be saved. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I would argue that there's the commitment part, committing to him to be the ruler of your life, Lord, King, ruler, boss, and believe in your heart, there's repentance and faith, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, well, Bob, where's the cost in this passage? Well, dear friends, if you and I believe in a resurrected Jesus, he had to get dead first. What a cost that he paid for you and I to be saved. He paid the cost for you and I to be saved, and you, you and I add nothing to that. We bring nothing to the table to earn, <clears throat> excuse me, or merit salvation. Zero. I hope you all agree with that. You bring nothing to the table. But here's where you count the cost. There's no such thing as getting saved 
No such thing as Jesus becoming your Lord, your master, your ruler, and then staying like you are. He will change you. He will change your agenda. He will change your everything. And even today, just as in our Matthew 4 passage, Jesus calls his disciples to not drop their nets, in our case, unless you happen to be a fisherman, but to drop your agenda and follow him. Now, what does that look like? Well, the Bible gives us a couple of, a little bit of direction about that. The cost of following Jesus includes a life of service. And you're gonna, you're gonna hear a thread through all of this. John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It gets a little heavier. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, the cost of following Jesus includes giving up your very life to follow him. But maybe not like you think that means. Listen. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And no, not as the old joke goes, your cross is not your mother-in-law, brothers. Okay? <laughs> Seriously, friends, don't try to explain this away. The cross in Jesus' day was what? It was the death penalty. The cross in Jesus' day was the death penalty. He's calling on us to choose death to self, death to my agenda, death to my way of doing things, death to the ways of the flesh, uh, death to the ways of the world. He means exactly what he says. And by the way, does that mean just on Sunday? Well, no, in the parallel passage in Luke, verse 23, Luke 9, 23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Listen, discipleship is, I guess, except when we're asleep, I guess, I don't know, is 24-7, 365. Following Jesus impacts everything in our lives, everything. It means I do family his way, marriage his way. I do my occupation his way, school his way. Yes, enjoy the world. He made this for us, his way. And we do all of that serving him and his kingdom purpose to further his agenda in reaching the world with the gospel, fishing for men. Can you join the apostle Paul and personalize this for yourself. Here's how he said it in Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. No matter how you cut it, folks, crucifixion makes you dead. Now, we're not talking about physical death here, are we? Read on. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I yield to the Lord Jesus. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself, died for me. Paul says, I've died to myself and my agenda and my, my direction, and by faith I follow Jesus. I get behind Jesus, not beside him, behind him. And I follow his agenda for my life. That same man would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. 
Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, do you get a feel for why I've used the word tension a few moments ago? Salvation is free. He paid the price. But he also says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you stop following yourself. You stop following everybody else. You deny yourself. You die to self. And you turn all over to him. You're not your own anymore. Bottom line, dear friends, your life will change if you're saved. You will grow, you will mature, you will serve, and it's not a straight line, there are bumps in the road. You will follow, you'll be on a God-sized adventure. Following Jesus is an adventure. You'll be part of his kingdom's expansion. You will give yourself and everything to him. And I will use this very overused word, it will be awesome what God will do with you when you surrender you all to him. One more passage on the cost of discipleship, let this be the icing on the cake. Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. Large crowds, we're told, were now traveling with Jesus and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, this is heavy, and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Hmm. And whoever does not carry his cross, that instrument of death, and follow me cannot be my disciple. Which of you building a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has the resources to complete it? Otherwise, if he lays the foundation and is unable to finish the work, everyone who sees it will ridicule him saying, this man couldn't finish what he started to build. Can you imagine when you all remodel the front of your church here and you didn't, you didn't set enough aside for all of the stone or whatever needed to be done and you got halfway done and realized, oops, we're out of resources. That would have been pretty silly, right? That's what he's saying here. Or what king on his way to war with another king will not first sit down and consider whether he can engage with 10,000 men, the one coming against him with 20,000. And if he's unable, he will send a delegation while the other king is still far off to ask for terms of peace. Even a king in a war will count the cost. In the same way, Jesus says, you count the cost if you're gonna follow me. Here's what he says. Any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is clear. He says that there's a cost of following him. I didn't make this up. I didn't make up the title. Dear friends, the Bible's clear. There's a cost to following Jesus. Is he literally telling us to hate, as in I hate you, hate our parents and our family? Of course that's not what he means. In this example, if our parents, and I mean those of us who are adults as well as children, don't follow Jesus and don't want us to, we have to count the cost. Because when family doesn't want us to follow Jesus and we obey his commands and do what he says anyway, regardless of what they say, it can get ugly. I can't tell you, dear friends, how many missionaries I've met 
how many pastors I've met, how many church staff members I've met, how many church members I've met who were blindsided by their Christian biological family members and fellow church family members because they went to the mission field. Or they moved to another state to pastor and took the grandkids. Or got involved in some local ministry right here in town and where they minister to those folks. And those folks could end up coming to our church or went on a short-term mission trip somewhere to work with a Southern Baptist missionary in a dangerous place in the world to share Jesus. Why in the world would you do something like that? Friends, if Jesus is Lord, you do what he says, even when family disapproves, and God forbid, when fellow church members disapprove, God's call on your life. Life can sometimes get ugly, and life can sometimes get lonely when you follow Jesus, but it's also awesome, I'll use the word again, to follow Jesus. And note this back in our Matthew 4 passage. His discipleship plan includes a call on his followers, not just those guys fishing 2,000 years ago, but on you and me, to be on mission with him. Your pastor used that word earlier, I loved it. On mission with him, to be fishers of men, That is the mission's angle of this message because that is what the scriptures teach. Folks, in some way, some shape, some form, some fashion, if you're following Jesus, your life is gonna fit into his agenda of reaching this world with the gospel. Well, Brother Bob, I'm 87 years old. I don't even think I could go to Africa. Dear friends, this isn't about going to Africa. This is about doing what God tells you to do in your context at your time of life. That's what Jesus is about because his agenda is reaching this world with the gospel. Fair question, is that what your life is about? Well, I just followed Jesus so I wouldn't go to hell. I'm not about this soul rescuing stuff. Well, dear friend, did you count the cost? Because Jesus is all about this soul rescuing stuff. Go and make disciples of all nations means what? Go and make disciples of all nations. It means what it says. Those words are for us. Jesus is all about getting the gospel to the lost in Batesville, Independence County, North America, and the world. And he calls you and I to follow him to get that done. That's why they left their nets. How do you see this for you? Do you believe Jesus is worthy of your service? Is he worthy of you investing your time and money in the church, in missions, in local and foreign adoptions, in children's ministry, in benevolence, all of this? What if he asked you to sell your business or leave your job to go overseas? What if he asked you to keep your business and stay at your job and give sacrificially to the work of the Lord? What if he asked you to share the gospel one more time with that guy who lives across the street that told you, don't ever talk to me about Jesus again, but Jesus told you, go this time, he's ready. What about going outside the reasons of Batesville? What if he asked you to go to disaster relief training that that another guy in my office is responsible for, Arkansas Baptist Disaster Relief, so that you could give up a week of vacation once a year, or maybe even two weeks if you had to, 
to go to when a hurricane, for example, hits the Gulf Coast. Did you know that when Hurricane Katrina happened, that just Arkansas Baptist disaster relief folks, not the other states, just Arkansas, served 1.8 million meals after Hurricane Katrina to the victims down there? Disaster relief workers cook meals, others run shower units, others serve on flood recovery units, chainsaw units, cutting trees off people's houses that have fallen when the tornadoes come through, ham radio communications trailers, a whole lot more. We need thousands of trained volunteers in our Arkansas Baptist churches to be ready, and we hope they never get deployed, but they do. And folks get saved at every deployment because disciples of Jesus go and meet needs and share the gospel with hurting people. What, do you, what if he asked you to start a hunger ministry on the side of baseball? Now that was already in the notes, y'all, and here y'all starting <laughs> this blessing box already. That's pretty cool, okay? So I was gonna say a coworker of mine will come and help you, but you're already getting it started, so there you go. What if God wanted you to get involved in jail ministry at the Independence County Jail? I don't know if they're open to people coming in right now, but we've got a two-hour basic training video online you can go to on our website. I'll share that with your team later, where you can get some training at least. What if you took literacy missions training, literacy missions training through the state convention, and you start a ministry to teach folks to speak English better, and God uses that platform to lead non-English speakers or poor English speakers to Christ as you're teaching them how to read and speak English better. Because you know you're going to be talking about the gospel when you do that. Or perhaps Jesus is calling you to take the lead in helping your church plant another church. What a novel idea, Brother Randy. Churches planting churches. What a novel idea. That's what the Bible teaches, y'all. State conventions don't plant churches. Churches plant churches. We just help them. Or perhaps God is calling you to lead your church to partner with a church planter in Arkansas and another, perhaps, elsewhere in North America. Perhaps God is calling you to help your church form a partnership with an IMB missionary and help that missionary reach an unreached people group somewhere in the world. Perhaps God is calling you not to be a team leader, but to be a team member on a mission trip to help a church planter in Arkansas do vacation Bible school. We'll help you do that. Internationally, y'all, there are 1.8 billion. I can't get my head around this. I'm, I'm in my 21st year at the convention. I still can't get my head around this, that there are 1.8 billion people in the world who haven't heard enough about Jesus to make a decision about him in 2022. And yet we're told in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, that one day there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation standing before Jesus, worshiping him. I want to be a part of that. If I get to live as long as my dad lived, I've only got 20 years left. He lived to 83. If I get to live as long as my dad lived, I've got 20 years left to serve God. That's it. I, when I'm in heaven, I know I can't give anymore. When I'm in heaven, I know I can't share the gospel with anybody. Brother Andy, I'm unclear as to whether I can pray for lost people in heaven or not. Maybe so. So whatever I'm going to do for God, I've got to do it while I'm down here. Right? 1.8 billion? 
We've, we've counted, at least in Arkansas, population pockets around the state from 125 different people groups that are here, and 60 to 70 of those are from unreached people groups abroad, and they're right here in Arkansas. I would presume there's some of them in Independence County. So if you think geographically, what I just described to you is a church full of members who have what I'll call an Acts 1-8 mindset in the obedience again to the Lord who said these words to his disciples when he left us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, was Jesus talking to Southern Baptist Americans when he said that? No. Okay. And there's a lot of ways you can, we, could, we could be here for an hour interpreting Acts 1.8. From an application point of view, most Southern Baptist churches apply it in thinking, all right, local, state, nation, world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost. They weren't talking to Americans. He wasn't talking to Americans. But most churches divide their, their mission work up local, state, nation, and world. So that's what I'm gonna be talking to your team about today, thinking about dividing your mission work up like that, I think you already do already, to get our heads around this so we can be effective as a local church in touching Batesville, somewhere in Arkansas, somewhere in the United States or North America, and the world. So I wanna ask you Lottie's question again. Brother Mark, if you go back to my slide too, if you would please. I'm going to ask you the question again. Should we not press at home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-workers with our Lord and master in the conversion of the world? As you bow your heads with me, let's think about that question for a moment. And if our instrumentalists would please come up. We're not going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to ask them to play just nice and quietly. Your pastor's heading back to get ready for baptism. But if you'll just bow your heads with me in an attitude of prayer, I want to ask you, is the call of Jesus real to you? As you've heard these passages of scripture considering the call and cost of discipleship are you willing to count the cost those that's Jesus words are you willing to count the cost giving up your your plans your agenda for his plans and his agenda I would submit to you that the agenda of Jesus would be way better than anything you could come up with Have you totally embraced him and his mission to bring the gospel to this part of Independence County and to the world? Are you willing to die to yourself daily and follow Jesus? And then 
If you've never been saved, this message probably didn't mean a whole lot to you. But I want you to know that Jesus did love you so much that he gave up his life for you. He died on a cross, the Bible teaches. He was buried in a tomb. He rose from the dead to prove that what he said he would do for you, he could do. And what is that? That he could pay for your sin and offer you eternal life. Romans chapter six, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for your sin, your lies, your taking things that don't belong to you, your improper thoughts, all that God knows about in your life. He says the, way, the paycheck for that is death. But the free gift of God, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't pay the cost. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So I wanna encourage you right where you're sitting to call out to him, to call out to Jesus and place your faith in him. Romans chapter 10, verse nine, which I quoted to you earlier. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, make him the Lord of your life. Count the cost. Because if you do, your agenda goes out the door. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. Well, friend, that's where faith comes in. So I would encourage you after this service, come up and talk to Brother John, talk to Brother Randy. If you've asked Jesus to save you, they'd be thrilled to know that. And then for those of us who are believers, thank you, thank you. And then for those of us who are believers, dear friends, there is nothing better than being behind Jesus, following him to do his agenda. So Lord, thank you that we could worship together today. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in the hearts of folks here at Calvary Baptist Church. Thank you for a pastor and, and his associate pastor who are faithfully leading people to be biblical and to have a heart for Jesus. And... Uh, and I just pray that you would use this congregation in a mighty way to touch souls in Batesville, in Arkansas, in this nation, and the world. We're also very thankful to you for this young man who is submitting himself for baptism today. And thank you for your call on his life. Thank you that he's willing to pay the cost in following Jesus. And Lord, we love you and we praise you and all of God's people said. Amen. Thank you, friends.